Let's ask God to help us uh, with his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, some of us are tired and some of us are full of energy. Uh, but we pray that uh, whatever our circumstances, you would help us now to concentrate and hear your word, to receive it with faith, to know its encouragement and instruction. And gracious Father, uh, I pray that you would help me now to speak your word truthfully and clearly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me tell you the story we like to hear as we're listening uh, to Acts 12. There's Peter, the vibrant, bold evangelist, arrested by the cruel tyrant Herod, but immediately faithful intercessors assemble and pray confidently for his release. You can hear them at the meeting, open those doors, Lord, shatter those chains, we're believing you for a miracle. And as a result, Peter is dramatically rescued as he expected. He was just sitting there, shoes on, dressed, ready to go. And he knew that this rescue would demonstrate the power of God and turn opponents into friends, change them. And of course he goes straight to the prayer meeting, knocks on the door and of course they open it and say, Peter, at last we were expecting you. And of course, following the rescue, the persecutor, Herod, the grandson of Herod the Great and the nephew of Herod the Tetrarch, is humbled by this confrontation with Christian truth. And, well, he changes heart. That's what we want to hear. Boys own Christianity. Victory. Faith rewarded. And it's almost the story, isn't it? Almost, but not quite. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And then he had to wake Peter up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off uh, Peter's wrist and Peter's still a bit dazed, so the angel has to tell him the obvious, get dressed. Oh. Well, Peter then follows him out, but look at that. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought it was... Well, just a vision. And it's not until they get outside through the gates that Peter comes to himself. Now I know that without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. And you can almost hear him thinking, what a surprise. And uh, he then, of course, proceeds to the prayer meeting in the home of John Mark's mother, obviously a, a big enough house uh, together and you kind of get the sense that they weren't expecting him. Oh, Rhoda's excitement we can kind of understand but when they come with the, when she comes with this good news uh, they say you're out of your mind. It must be his angel. Peter actually just has to stand there at the door and keep on knocking. What were they praying for? Oh, and that judgment against Herod that kind of seems to vindicate the Christians, well, he was generally reckoned as a popular, peaceful and prosperous monarch. And that judgment, a judgment that's also recorded in the Jewish historian Josephus, was for pride. It doesn't say he was 
well, struck down for locking up a Christian. It was judgment because he did not give praise to God. Oh, and there's one thing we neglected, isn't there? The passage actually starts with James. You remember James the Apostle, one of the big three? Uh, one of those specially trained by Jesus, taken in private, seen raising Jairus' daughter at the Mount of Transfiguration, the brother of the beloved disciple, well equipped for witness. The passage actually starts with this James killed, beheaded because it kind of pleased the Jews. A death, of course, that fulfilled the prophecy of Mark 10, but why then? I mean, that prophecy included John, and John lived for many more years to come. In fact, the passage is really a bit of a puzzle. Why Peter and not James? <laughs> why rescue one <laughs> when you could have rescued both? Both were apostles. Both were equipped. Why was the outcome so different? I mean, James' mum was probably asking that. And I suspect James' brother John would have been asking that too, as much as he loved Peter. And there'd be those in the congregation lamenting his loss. They'd be asking that. Why James? Why was James taken and not Peter? I mean, we're not even told why Peter was rescued. We, we can make a guess about the role he has uh, from well, what we can see in the remainder of Acts, maybe it was because he was going to have a significant role in that key meeting in Acts 15. Or maybe this incident's here to explain the movement of the apostles from Jerusalem and the growing, growing leadership of another James, James the Lord's brother, but we actually don't know. We're not told why Peter lived and James died. In one sense, of course... That question is unanswerable. But what I want to think about tonight is, can we have a framework for thinking about events like these? Sad, senseless, wasteful. A framework for thinking about the differences in the way God treats believers. How can we think about those things without losing ourselves in grief? or in speculation or going down wrong paths like looking for blame. You've heard that kind of speculation perhaps. Oh, James, good he was taken then because he would have abandoned the faith or oh, he was nursing a, a, a secret moral failure or wrong paths, idle speculation. How are we to think about the different ways in which God treats his people. We do need to think about those differences because we all encounter them. Uh, let me tell you a story of one of uh, my students from Bible college days. He was really a lovely bloke in the first class of degree students we had. He made a very costly decision for himself and his family to come and study coming from interstate. He was good. Uh, he, his character was great. He was able academically. He could preach and pastor. He graduated. He moved to a church in another state. That church was doing really well. 
And then things started to fall apart. Why? Because he had early onset dementia. It was tragic. It, 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 and they didn't know at first. And so he was making judgments that were just wrong, that were destroying relationships. And it went on for a couple of years and he died this awful death. Others in his class have just gone on and on and on in ministry. Why these differences? Why is one rescued and the other died? Can we have a framework for thinking about that? Not just a framework for thinking, but can we have a framework for living in a world where God seems to treat his people differently? One person's ministry flourishes. Another just seems to be always hitting his head against the wall with very little progress. One enjoys continuing good health. The other afflicted by chronic illness. Can we have a framework for living, for thinking? What stopped, say, these early believers from seeing James' death as a dreadful defeat, a failure, what allowed them to keep on with the gospel in the face of things like James's death? Let's think about, in a sense, what equipped them to keep going with the gospel. And so firstly, these early believers expected persecution. Jesus had taught them to expect it. So James getting arrested and killed, not really a surprise. No, no servant's greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And so they weren't surprised by opposition, even to death. They didn't think that being a Christian was about occupying a respectable place in society or that society should be generally supportive of their beliefs and way of living. They had just witnessed their master's own death. Oh, they had witnessed Stephen's death. They'd been taught to think that they should not be surprised, 1 Peter 4, by persecution. It was part of their life. So they were equipped by expecting opposition and persecution. And they were equipped to keep going by being confident in what God had promised. Theirs was an inheritance that God was keeping. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. They knew that they would not be losers. Whatever the opposition they faced, whatever the hardship they endured, they did not expect to get it all now. In fact, that was part of their preaching. We see that in Acts 3. Heaven must receive him, the Lord Jesus, until the time comes for God to restore everything. They had a future hope. And of course they knew Jesus had said, my kingdom is not of this world. They didn't expect to occupy the, seat, occupy the seats of power and privilege in this life, and so hardship was no denial of their hope. Oh, and they also knew that death was not the end. 
I heard a voice from heaven say, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labour. Their deeds will follow them. You see, the apostle to depart and be with Christ, that is better by far. An early death was not for them the great and irretrievable tragedy that the world thinks it is. You listen to people, and if people died less than 60, it's kind of a surprise. And people think they've been robbed or cheated, as if their life was ever their own. Revelation speaks of the death of believers repeatedly. And remember, they'd heard Jesus say to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. They knew death was not the end. So it actually wasn't that great tragedy that James was killed. Oh, and they knew because they'd been taught through Jesus' crucifixion what the Old Testament taught, that God is in control. They had no doubt that God was in control and could further his good purposes through the evil acts of wicked people. That's what they had learned. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Oh, you know, there were gathered in this city Herod and Pontius Pilate to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. If you believe that the death of Jesus was God's will for your good, for your sins, then you know God's purposes are not frustrated by the evil deeds of evil people. They are prospered by it. His control extends to all things and all people. And yes, his control extends to death, even untimely death. And of course, he doesn't lose track of his people or deal with this just in the general. God treats his people individually. He knows us individually from birth to death. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so those believers knew that James had not died a day before he was meant to. Just like you will not die a day before or a day later than you are meant to. They knew God treats us individually in birth and death. Oh, they knew what Jesus says of his relationship to his people. He knows them. He calls his sheep by name. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And hopefully if you're a believer, you know that. You are known individually. You're not just part of a collective. Your Saviour knows you and loves you individually. That was true of James, as it was true of Peter. Uh, that individual knowledge and our Lord's individual plans for each of his people were actually brought home uh, to the Apostle Peter in that strange little episode in John 21. Do you remember it? Uh, our Lord's been talking to Peter 
restoring him really by saying, feed my sheep. And Peter turned, it says, and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who was going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Do you hear what Jesus is saying to Peter? Every one of us, he says, really is, is my servant. Every believer is my servant. We're Jesus' servant. And each of us is accountable to him and at his disposal. Jesus doesn't need to tell us what his plans are for anyone else. He has good plans for them. He knows them. He doesn't need to satisfy our curiosity about how he directs the lives of his servants. What is that to you? And of course these believers have been taught to pray by our Jesus. So they expect suffering. They know death is not the end. They know that the Lord deals with us individually and they've been taught to pray by Jesus. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is heaven. They've been taught to seek in their prayer first of all the Father's will and the Father's glory and we know they learn to pray like that here they are being threatened by punishment in Acts 4 and what do they pray for actually they don't pray for protection or prosperity consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great God with great boldness Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They are praying that the name of Jesus would be honoured, that God's will in exalting his son would be done. They have been taught to pray by Jesus, to pray not my will but yours be done. They didn't think they were in a position to dictate to God about his own, but to seek God's glory in his dealings with his own. And so is it beyond the realms of imagination to think that gathered as they were in that room, they were praying that Peter would maintain a good confession. Honour Jesus in life or death. Is it beyond the realms of imagination to think that that is actually what we should be praying for each other in all our trials. Before even relief, we pray that we would not dishonour our Saviour by distrusting him. Well, back to Acts 12. That's, in a sense, a way of thinking about what's happened to James. What do we actually see from Acts 12? Well, God can rescue his people, rescued Peter, but he doesn't do it all the time. Those not rescued are not less loved. They're not losers. <laughs> who knows the effect of their death or who knows the effect of another believer's faithfully enduring trial and sickness? 
I mean, we've seen with Stephen, haven't we, that a death can bring great honour to God and promote the gospel. Those who were scattered by Stephen's death, we have just seen. Take the gospel to the Samaritans. Take the gospel to the Greeks in Antioch. That death served God's good purpose and Stephen was no loser. The Lord Jesus was standing to receive him. We actually just have to humble ourselves, don't we? We have to acknowledge our God to be God. And we really aren't in a position to tell God how he should deal with his people, his children. No, we should trust him and humble ourselves under his mighty hand and know he will exalt us in his good time. So God can rescue his people, but he doesn't all the time. Oh, and yes, God does judge proud oppressors. We see that with Herod. But, of course, we may not live to see it. Want a modern example? What about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Almost two years in prison. Two weeks before liberation, the liberation of the Flossenburg concentration camp, he was killed. He did not live to see the death of his oppressor, Hitler, 21 days later. Oh yes, God does judge proud oppressors. We may not live to see it, but we will see it at the last day. And God does hear our prayers. Uh, you ought to remember that God is in control, by the way, and not be afraid. Rather, pray for your enemies. And God does hear our prayers. But what are we to pray for? In trial. Facing persecution. Well, yes, we do pray for mercy. But taught by Jesus, surely we pray that honouring the Father should be our first desire and request. Honouring him by believing what he says about himself. Honouring him especially by believing what he has revealed of himself in his Son. That the Son knows us, loves us and will keep us. And remember, death is not the great tragedy the world sees it to be. Oh yes, we are sad when one of our number dies, but we have hope. And we who are left are the ones who suffer the loss. They are better off. Remember the Apostle Paul again, to depart and be with Christ, that is better by far. Do you have that confidence? Do you think if you're a believer in Jesus that if you were to die now you would be better off or would you think that you've been cheated? Oh, cheated of that marriage? Cheated of those kids? Oh, cheated of that successful... Would you think that or would you think you were better off? If you want to live for Jesus, you actually have to learn how to die for Jesus. You actually have to trust him that you are better off in his hands. In many ways a passage like Acts 12 is a call, isn't it, for endurance. That's what trials are, that's what the book of Revelation calls us to uh, when it presents the oppression of a government opposed 
an idolatrous government opposed to Christ's people. If anyone's to go to captivity, into captivity they'll go. If anyone is to be killed by the sword, with the sword they'll be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. That's the call to us from Acts chapter 12, isn't it? Faithful, endu patient endurance and faithfulness. Endurance in trusting and obeying our Lord Jesus. Faithfulness in getting on with the task. Because we know the God who loves us and has saved us by sons in control. And he will prosper that task. In fact, if we're left, if we're the Peter in the equation, that's so that we can use the time well. Now we know from 1 Corinthians that Peter kept on travelling. He kept on preaching the gospel. That was Paul's approach. You know, he was contemplating his death while he was in prison and writing to the Philippians. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Continuing life should mean fruitful labour for us. Getting on with the job our Lord Jesus has entrusted to us. Knowing we will give account to him. Paul again thinking in a sense of his resurrection. We're confident I say and would prefer to be away from the body. That's dead. And at home with the Lord. Still alive? With that desire? What do we do? We make it our goal to please him. Whether we're at home in the body or the way from the Lord, because all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. God does treat his people differently. If you're the one left, if you're the one with the continuing gift of life, the continuing gift of health, it's not so you can live for yourself. It's so that you can live for your Lord. We make it our aim to please him. Not shaken by opposition, but getting on with the job. Because no opposition will be able to stop God from fulfilling his purpose, that he will save his people by his word. Did you hear the last word of that, the last line of that story? Despite that opposition, despite the loss of James, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. That word will be fruitful. Listen to the apostle. And again, contemplating his end, he could say at the end of 2 Timothy, I fought the good fight, I've run the race. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Lost his kind of freedom to preach. But he hadn't lost his confidence. But God's word is not chained. You know, killing its most prominent advocates won't stop the Christian gospel. Imprisoning 
the most prominent advocates won't stop the Christian gospel. God has his purpose. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Jesus has his sheep. He'll call them by name. They'll hear his word. And the word of God will continue to progress. So there you have it. One taken, one rescued. Rescued to keep on in fruitful labour until the day set by his Lord to depart and be with him. And that day is already set. If you're listening to me, it's because you still have the gift of life. You still have this glorious word that Christ died for our sins, was buried and was raised by God and exalted over all and he is Lord now. You still have this glorious word that brings hope to those in bondage to the fear of death, that brings truth to those imprisoned by their lies, that brings peace with God to those who are troubled by the consciousness of their rebellion against him. That brings people to know love and life. You have that word. Make it your aim to please him. Faithful living, keeping the commands of God and faithful speaking, speaking the word to all knowing that the word of God will spread and will flourish and do our Saviour's work in the lives of his people. Let's pray.